Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Join me uh, with the pastoral prayer. Day and covered and cleansed by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we are here, Lord, redeemed and justified by the blood that was shed on the cross and by nothing else, nothing but the blood. And we thank you that we are being sanctified day by day by your word that operates in us uh, because your word is truth and your word is life to us. We pray for your blessing upon Pastor Greg this morning and help us, Lord, to hear your word, to receive your word by allowing our hearts to be touched and changed by your Holy Spirit. We lift up, Lord, those uh, who have lost family members recently, that you would uphold them, that you would comfort them and sustain them. For when one member suffers, all suffer together. We also bring to you those who are sick, that by your mighty hand, you would heal them and restore them. Uh, this morning, uh, we want to pray for Pastor Matthew and Laura from the Bay Area Bible Baptist Church in North Bend. Lord, uh, that you would continue to bless the preaching of the word there, their care for the gospel message, the challenges of helping individuals who are often broken and who are often angry. We thank you that they too are ministering on behalf of the body of Christ and through the word of God. Uplift Matthew, uplift Olora and their young family as they serve you and their congregation. Lord, we thank you that you love humanity, that you love life. So we are grateful for the Supreme Court decision overturning a federally approved culture of death. And that to the most vulnerable We pray against violence, Lord, on either side, and especially against the uh, pro-life pregnancy centers locally and throughout our country. Keep them safe, Lord. Already there, have been, there has been violence. We pray that you would keep them and keep them safe. May we not respond to hatred and anger with our own hatred and anger, but may we respond with <clears throat> the gospel. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As your word says, we are to pray for those in authority, all and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We pray for our president, we pray for Congress, for all the state and local officials, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. And we pray all these things by faith in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Rick. Kiddos, you are released for Children's Church. The rest of you, go ahead and open your Bibles <clears throat> to that short passage that Vern read. I love to bless our elders with the long passages like that. 
If you don't remember, uh, it was Acts 15, verses 1 through 35. Well, good morning, church. We love you too, Michael. Thank you. Amen. That is my prayer. Uh, Have you ever noticed that some things just bring people together? Uh, Like siblings. If you are at home, if you have kids, you know that they like to bicker and complain and fight and argue uh, most of the time about really small and very dumb things. Um, But the moment someone challenges those two uh, or your kids or some siblings, they become inseparable. They link together and they say, we might be bickering all the time, but we are going to take care of one another. The same thing goes for a nation at war, uh, for the most part. Um, we, we are a nation full of different views, different ideas, different people, different cultures. Uh, but the moment someone flies a plane into a building killing thousands of innocent people, we link together for a common cause to care for our country. In a positive light, uh, we will root for our team, our, our country in the Olympics. We will, we will celebrate them even though we cannot agree on the color of the sky every other time of the year. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is linking us together with people that we often do not have anything in common with, with different ethnicities, different thoughts, different cultures, different backgrounds. On a universal scale, he is bringing his people together. And this is what we've seen all throughout the book of Acts. We see it constantly uh, that the gospel is being proclaimed and the Jews and the Gentiles are coming together, that the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It's just saving to the uttermost by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there, here's the problem. When the dust settles, uh, when the Olympics are over, when war continues to rage on, when siblings return home, we settle back into our old ways. We get back into bickering and over issues instead of uniting in grace. We say, if you really are a Christian, you're going to look this way. You're going to go to this church. You're going to think theologically uh, this way about a secondary doctrine uh, that really isn't clear to begin with. And instead of making these talking points uh, among one another, we, we create division. We amplify them as if they're, did somebody else hear that? Like a bell ringing in the back of the church. We amplify them like they are requirements to salvation. Maybe. Setting bells off. Listen up, church. That's what he's saying. And in doing this, When we make these things, we attach them to salvation, and we start saying, this is what you should look like, we hinder people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we start creating divisions in our community and in our fellowships. So we're going to look at some of those hindrances, uh, human hindrances to the gospel, if if you will, 
Acts 15, be there with me. If you don't have a Bible, like I say every week, there's one around you somewhere. If you don't have one at all, you can have that one. Yeah, you can use it on your phone if you want. But Acts 15, 1, look at the text with me. But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then in verse 5, they just kind of add a little bit, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, they rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So we have two groups here. Uh, One that's saying you have to be circumcised to be saved. The other one is saying, uh, not only do you need to be circumcised, but we're going to order you to keep the law of Moses to be saved. And in both instances, uh, there's an addition to the gospel. There's an addition to the gospel preached by Jesus Christ that says in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. The gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel that Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In both cases in Acts, there's an element of uh, adding human effort to salvation. It's if, if you would just believe and be circumcised, then you can be saved. If you would just believe and keep the law of Moses, then you would be, then you would be saved. But here's the problem. That's not the gospel. In verse 10 in Acts 15, Peter says, Now therefore, why... Are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Paul later on will reiterate this. He says, uh, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. <laughs> he even amplifies how sinful we are. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we have to ask, why? What's at stake here? Why such a big deal? Like they come down and they say you need to be circumcised, and, and they have to go back to Jerusalem and gather in a council to figure out what's going on. Why the big deal? What's at stake? The first thing is identity. 
your identity. Circumcision, it was a sign that a person was part of the community, the covenant community. They were a follower of Yahweh. Uh, God gives this to, to Abraham way back in Genesis 17. He says, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me, a sign in the flesh. So naturally, the Jews would say, of course, they need to be circumcised. You need to look like one of us, or you can't be one of us. Just read Genesis, they say. But Jesus, he brought in the new covenant, made not in the flesh, but in his flesh. And his spirit is the one who circumcised the heart instead of the flesh. And that's a sign between us and God that we are his. And yeah, as Christians, we look different. We should look different. We should look different than the world. But the change is initiated eternally first, not externally. You can't look different and then be saved. You are saved and then you start to look like Jesus. What's at stake here is the identity of the person in Christ alone. When the thief on the cross uh, said to Jesus, uh, remember me when you enter your kingdom, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he didn't first say, hey, just real quick, let me make sure uh, before I save you, do you promise uh, to not have negative thoughts for the next two hours uh, before you die. Do you, are you circumcised? Uh, he didn't ask him these questions. Do you promise not to curse one more time before you die in the next couple of hours? Now, immediately, he was identified as Christ. He says, you will be with me today in paradise. He went from sinner a child of God. You are his if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Chosen, a royal priesthood, a possession, not because of how awesome you are, but because of his grace. And to get this wrong places your identity in the wrong place. So if your identity is in anything but Christ... The moment you fall short, the moment that thing fails you, the moment you lose your job or your business, the moment that you break your leg and can no longer compete, the, the moment you can't think like you used to or that relationship crumbled, that moment you will be crushed because that's where you put your identity. But if your identity is in Christ alone, you'll be like a house built upon a rock that can never, ever be shaken. So the first thing that's at stake if we get the gospel wrong is who we are. The second is justification. In sin, we're considered guilty but breaking God's law. Not one of us uh, fulfill the law. Not one of us get out of bed hardly in the morning without breaking the law, at least in our minds. Paul says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin are death. But Jesus fulfills the law perfectly. He lives the perfect life. He has the perfect obedience, and he gives us that as if we lived the perfect life. 
But then to say it's necessary for you to be circumcised or to order you to keep the laws in an attempt to add your work on top of what Christ has already done perfectly. So that would be like Michelangelo finishing the Sistine Chapel painting and saying, Greg, I need you to improve upon what I've done. And that's just a poor example of what adding to Christ's work is. There are times, though, in the church that we try to force this upon people. And we try to add to Christ's work for their salvation. Like if someone comes to know Jesus and and they desire to follow him, and they're brand new Christians, and we say, great, now just stop smoking and drinking and thinking bad thoughts and sinning and struggling with sin, and then you can be saved. Just like we did, right? The moment we were saved, we stopped. Perfect life. Not me. Still struggling. So here's what will happen when that's the gospel we preach. When we add to grace, okay? One, when they fail, and they will, because no one will live perfectly, they will be crushed under the weight of not being able to add, to measure up. They'll more than likely stop coming to church, more than likely never return, Secondly, those who preach the gospel or preach that gospel, adding to the gospel, will look down on them instead of uh, leading them back to Jesus and leading them back to the grace that we are so, um, God so mercifully pours on us. Instead of leading them back to that, we will just shake our heads in disgust and say, I knew you weren't a follower of Christ anyway. Third, they will never be secure in their identity in Jesus Christ. They'll be crippled in fear They'll be disappointed in God. They will miss salvation or fear that they're missing salvation or they're less Christian than others. Fourth, they will never seek solace in the church. They will never come back and ask for help with sin. They will never come back. Uh, they will never overcome old lifestyles and struggles or, or say, I need help overcoming this lifestyle and struggle because the gospel they were taught was leaned heavier on their response than on the grace of Jesus Christ. Church, this must not be. When believers fall short and we will, we point each other to the work of Jesus, not ourselves. We should say, remember what Jesus has accomplished, that he accomplished the law, that he gives you his righteousness, that he is your strength. You are not your strength. We don't say try harder, dig deeper, just stop sinning. The gospel breathes new life in our desire to obey Jesus. Rules and regulations rob us of a desire. The second hindrance to the gospel, so the first is adding to the gospel, the second is living in such a way that causes others to stumble before they even get there. Look at verse 19. Therefore, this is James, after talking about the gospel, he says, therefore, My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, 
and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had been, uh, has, has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. He repeats the same thing as they send the letter out in verses 28 through 29. And I think what happens here in our minds is we think, okay, we're Gentiles. So this is our list. We just, we just uh, don't eat things polluted by idols. Um, we stay away from sexual immorality. Uh, we don't we stay away from things that have been strangled. That just seems weird anyway, so we'll do that. Um, and blood. Okay, I don't like blood anyways. I pass out every time I see it. I don't, but... Um, so we, we take that list. We say, okay, that's our list. It's just, thank uh, the Lord, it's a little bit smaller. We don't have to worry about all those other l- rules in the Old Testament. And that's not what it, they're saying. Um, what's going on here is these things that the council are asking them to stay away from are hindrances to the Jews hearing the gospel. These are all things that the Jews would have uh, attributed to idolatry or what God says stay away because of the importance he places on blood. And the Gentiles, they would have known these are offensive to the Jews. Uh, They've been around the Jews. They've heard the law. That's what verse 21 means. From ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So the Gentiles knew what was offensive to those Jews around them. So the decision... From Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Council, is not, it's not only theological accuracy, which is important. They say, make sure that you're keeping the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, the main thing, and ensuring that nothing is being added to the gospel, but it's also about loving your neighbor. It's also about not putting a barrier between anyone and the gospel, The Lord never wants us to set our freedom before the importance of someone hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Maybe you don't live in blatant sin, you're a pretty good person, but have you ever thought about how does my freedom hinder my witness to salvation? I have some hot topic examples for you, ready? In 2016, I was in Mexico City, uh, Oaxaca, and then traveling back in Mexico City. I was training pastors. If you remember what was going on in 2016, it was a big election. There was some tension in the election, if you remember that. I don't know. Maybe you forgot it because of 2020. Uh, But Donald Trump was uh, running for president, and and he had some tension with Mexico because of the whole wall discussion. You remember this, right? Now, as I traveled down to Mexico, uh, if, if I showed up wearing a Trump t-shirt, training pastors in Mexico, they would have heard nothing that I was saying. Hold on, Michael. They would have heard absolutely nothing I was saying because I put a barrier between them and what they needed to be hearing. The same would go true, it would stand true here if I walked into Republican headquarters and I wanted to share the gospel and had a Biden t-shirt on, they would have not, I probably wouldn't even get in, but uh, they would not hear the message that I was trying to share with them because I'm allowing the way I'm thinking to be a barrier. And you probably feel the tension in the room 
I like to say names that are uncomfortable for everybody um, because I'm talking politics. He's like, oh, don't talk about politics, Greg. You're not supposed to. But too often, too often we allow our political leanings to hinder our heavenly allegiances. We have to remember that the freedom that Paul says we have in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. We love that, right? We forget that it says, you were called to freedom, brothers, not only, or only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The same goes for other areas in our lives. In our attempt to uh, stand against abortion, are we so obnoxious that we're running over those who have gone their whole life thinking, this is the only option I have? Do you ever give thought to how your life, your stances, your desires are affecting your witness to Jesus Christ? Because that is much more important than anything else that happens temporarily. Just meditate on the fact that Jesus Christ, the king of all things, humbled himself, became a slave to tell you the gospel. I know I've said this before. I said it this morning. Uh, I'll say it probably as, as often as I can. Let Jesus be the stumbling block, not you. Jesus says in Luke 17, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Which leads us to the unhindered gospel. First salvation, it's not hindered by our perfect understanding. We, uh, some of us, uh, me often, I think I'm right about everything. You could just ask my wife. Um, I know that I am not, uh, but often I think I am. And I think sometimes in, in theology, we think we're right about everything. But look at verse five. As I was reading through this, it, it really it blew me away um, about what Luke is communicating here. Acts 15, verse 5. But some believers, okay, I'm going to stop just for a moment. Believers. He says they are believers in the message of Jesus Christ. Who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. That throws a wrench in what we think. They rose up and they said it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now get this, those who are trying to add the law, who messed up the message of salvation, Luke still considers them believers. He still considers them ones who are following Jesus. They just don't understand fully yet. And God's grace is bigger than our ignorance and our misunderstandings. Do they need to be corrected? Absolutely. Do I need someone to check my theology? Absolutely. That's why we have elders in this church to make sure I'm not flinging heresy at you all Sunday long. 
But that shows the importance of solid biblical leadership and the need for discipleship. Not a requirement, though, for initial salvation. I was very ignorant of a lot of things whenever I came to know the Lord at first. Things I am embarrassed of. But Christ, his grace was bigger than my ignorance. And don't misunderstand me. We need to understand the core. We have to understand the core tenets of the gospel. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here he, he gives it to us now. I've delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scripture, and that he was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture. That's it. We have to understand what Christ has done. We have to understand we're sinners. But we are going to stumble, not right now, Michael, we are going to stumble in what we believe. We're flawed. We're swayed by things on the outside, by cultures. But salvation comes to those who believe in Jesus as Messiah. And there will be tweaking to our theologies as we grow in the Lord. We're going to understand more and more and more. But perfect understanding is not a prerequisite for salvation. Second, the gospel is not hindered by nationality. Look at verses 7 through 8, or 7 through 9. And there had been much debate. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them. In the past, before the cross, the nations, they were hindered from hearing the gospel. We saw that last week in uh, chapter 14, verse 16. The past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their ways. They didn't have the message of salvation, but Jesus opens the floodgates for the nations to hear the gospel, for us to proclaim that. That's the whole heartbeat of Acts, that we would proclaim the gospel from Judea, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. So what that means, church, is that we do not hinder the gospel by determining to whom it'll go. Acts 15, 10 says, why are you putting God to the test? He says, tell the gospel to people, to everyone. We don't get to say that person is just too far gone. We don't get to say those people will never hear the gospel. We don't get to say I can't stand uh, being around them. They disgust me. Their lifestyle is too far gone. Nope. Can you imagine God, Christ, putting on flesh and being around us in our sin and still loving us and still proclaiming the gospel? 
We don't get to say as soon as they change their lifestyle or their position or their voting or their attitude, then they're ready to hear the gospel. We don't get to say that. Because I want to remind you, you were dead in sin. You were sons and daughters of disobedience. You were haters of God. And as Rick prayed this morning, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we got it together. And since Jesus saved us to grace alone, we get to extend that grace to others. We get to, to tell people of the gospel. And the gospel's not hindered by our choice, but God who saves whom he will. Verse 15 or verse 11. Peter says, We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Verse 7 tells us God chose to save the Gentiles through the message of the gospel. But he didn't gather the Jewish nation around first and say, hey guys, what do you think? Thinking about bringing the Gentiles in? I want to make sure you're cool with that first. He didn't ask their opinion. (laughs) He just says, go and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's great news for us because he not only said go and tell them, he says they will believe it. They will receive the Spirit. That's when Paul and Peter, when they come back and they give the account of, man, they're actually believing and they're actually receiving the Holy Spirit. And that's good news for us because we get to go into the darkest areas of the world and shine light and know that God is saving his people. That's exciting. That's encouraging. And you're being sent to share the gospel. God has made the choice by your mouth for people to hear the gospel and believe. And God will bear witness to their salvation. We see in 8 and 9, he gives them the spirit. He works miracles among them and Paul, through Paul and Barnabas to confirm his message. James steps up and he says, this is exactly what he has been saying all along. If he points us back to the Old Testament, he says, just look at Amos. God's rebuilding the tent of David. He set Jesus already on the throne. He is the king. God does restore us in Jesus. And why does he do that? So all who called by God's name will seek him. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. This is the program of God. This is what he is doing to save to the ends of the earth. Out of a heart that understands the unhindered gospel. And then we get some evidences for the received gospel. The point here is not to say that everyone who says Jesus is considered a believer. Jesus even says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The point is that Jesus is saving by his grace alone. And in that salvation, he initiates, he he provides, he gives as a free gift, he purchases salvation by his very own blood and life, and then we are changed. So how do we know? How do we know 
we've received this gospel. What are the evidences? First, you've heard the gospel. Verse 7 says, And Peter stood up and he said, Brothers, you know in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. The message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the true gospel, the unhindered gospel has to be heard. It has to be heard for salvation to happen. Not Jesus, not the gospel, plus this and this and this. But the grace of God. Not everyone who attends enough church, not everyone who says a prayer enough times, not how many times you've been baptized, not um, who cleans the church toilet enough, uh, not one who gives tithes enough, none of that is bearing on your salvation, but those we believe will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as we will be. Secondly, you receive the Holy Spirit, verse 8, and God knows the heart. He bears witness by giving them the Spirit just as he did to us. And I don't mean a dove is going to descend out of heaven onto your chest. I don't mean a fire, a tongue of fire is going to rest on your forehead. That's not what happened to my hair. It's not what I mean. The evidence that you receive the Spirit of God is that you believe in Jesus Christ. Even if you don't fully get it, you, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like, I'm struggling with some areas, but I believe that you're the answer. You have a conviction of sin that leads you to repentance. Not, oh, I'm just comfortable with sin in my life. Like, it is tormenting you because the Spirit does not want to dwell in the same place as that a desire to follow Jesus, a desire to obey his word, to read his word. Like, this is actually God's words. Wow, I want to read them and understand them. Growth as a believer, looking more and more like Jesus according to the Bible. Sometimes that is painfully slow in some areas. Third confirmation that we are believers is the confirmation of other believers. Verse 8, God knows he bore witness about them. Verse 12, Peter is telling about the Gentiles. Uh, verse 12, Paul and Barnabas are bearing witness about the Gentiles. Verse 30 and 31, we see that they actually respond to the gospel. They read it and they rejoice. And we have to be careful here because we can't see the heart, uh, but we can see the effects of someone changing. So often we're really hard on ourselves when it comes to um, looking like a Christian or we, we want to follow the Lord, but we keep, we keep stumbling, we keep falling, and we see that and we, we are in our own heads and we know what's going on in, in our heads. But others can see the growth that the Spirit is producing in us. Ask your spouse, ask a friend, ask someone that knows you. Do you see any evidence in my life? What if we started telling one another how we see Jesus working in our lives instead of 
bickering behind each other's backs. I challenge you this week, tell someone, this is how I see Christ in you. This is how I see him working in your life. We, we all grow weary. We all grow exhausted. And we need people to say, hey, I do see Christ in you. Fourth evidence is that we continue in discipleship. We're both being discipled and discipling. And I, I'm not saying, and I want you to get me wrong, that if you're only saved if you're being discipled or you're discipling someone. That's not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying discipleship is an evidence of salvation. Because the Spirit longs for fellowship with the body of Christ, with Jesus. He drives us to learn, to grow, to challenge one another, to encourage one another, to fellowship, to worship. But if we don't have those desires, what confidence do we have? What evidence do we have that we actually believe what we say we believe? The one who believes in Christ is rooted in him and starts to produce fruit. Finally, the last evidence is you actually want to tell people about Jesus. <laughs> like, do you know that he saved a sinner like me? If you're here today and you're not sure that you've received the gospel, I, would, I will clear my schedule to talk to you about Jesus. Church, we have all messed this up one time or another. We've excluded people that don't look like us, that don't match our idea of what a Christian should look like. We've added rules, we've added regulations to salvation. Even if we don't realize it, we've created divisions among other believers. Christ is bigger than our foolishness. He's stronger than our foolishness. And I would encourage you this week to look at your life. Assess how you've been presenting the gospel to those around you. Say, am I hindering the gospel at all? And if I am, repent. Repent and preach just as Peter says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we so often want to run as Christians and end up tying our shoes together with how we think. But you're so gracious and you're so patient with us. And we thank you. And God, we ask, would you change our hearts? Would you expose the sin in our lives, the, the times that we add to the gospel, the times that we hinder the, the uh, presentation of the gospel? And create in us a desire to preach Christ and you crucified. Lord, we love you. We need your help. Holy Spirit, we can't do this and we don't want to do this apart from you. Strengthen us as a church to be the city on a hill that you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591. 
or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.